Romans chapter 10. If you'll go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 10, we'll be uh, looking at some passages there, some verses there. Uh, let me just say this about the greeter ministry. It is a very uh, needful ministry here in this church. And, and here's how I want you to think about it. I want you to think about someone who is coming on our campus. And I want you to think about the impression that we leave with them as they leave. It's said that most people make up their minds whether they're going to return to that church in the, before they actually sit in this room. And, and that's kind of amazing, isn't it? That the, the, the treatment that they receive outside these walls will many times determine whether they're coming back. And so I just want you to know it's very important. Matter of fact, we know that one of our core values, the lead core value, the one that's the most important is that Jesus is our lead story. Our goal is to lead people to know Jesus. And so when we bring them to our campus and they choose to worship with us, and, and here's one thing you may not know, about 30, 25 to 30% of the guests we have each Sunday come in this service. That means there are about 70 to 75% that come to the 11 o'clock service. So maybe you're looking around here and you're saying, well, it looks like the same people we normally have. Well, believe it or not, we have guests in this service, great services. Churches, this service has grown, our gathering has grown over the last several years. But 11 o'clock, it, it's really, we really reach a lot of people at 11 o'clock. And I really want you to be praying about your involvement. Matter of fact, if you know a 100-year-old that would like a position as greeter, we will pay them, okay? We'll, we'll pay anyone who's 100 years old to be a greeter here uh, in our church. So I just want to encourage you to sign up. It's a great ministry, a great time uh, to meet people and just welcome them to the, to the church. Well, we're continuing the series, Royal Invitation. And today we're looking at the terms of salvation, the terms of salvation. Now, last week, we looked at the mystery that's associated with our salvation. If, if you were here last week, you know that we had a door up here, and the door represented our salvation. The knob represented us uh, touching the knob and receiving that salvation. But on each side of the door, we had two different pictures or views of what our salvation is really all about. And hopefully you do remember that. On one side of the door was our view of our salvation. It's that whole idea that, 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 that we have our view and our decision and our free will that enacts the salvation. And so, but then on the other side, we had God's view, God's reach, God's sovereignty. So therefore, today, as it relates to what we're looking at, we're going to be looking at our view of salvation. We're going to be looking at our responsibility as it relates to our salvation. So it'll be our view of salvation, our decision to follow Christ, and our free will to choose Christ. That's what we'll be looking at in this passage today. So look at the introduction. This passage is one of the greatest places in Scripture that gives the best explanation of how one can be saved and who can be saved. How one can be saved and who can be saved. So the first thing I want us to look at is the vulnerability of man's salvation. The vulnerability of man's salvation. First of all, we see under this Paul's zeal that leads to mission. If you will remember last week, we, or several weeks ago, we looked at uh, chapter 9 and we began to look at Paul's uh, heart for those who don't know Christ. But look at what he says in verse 1 of chapter 10. He said, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. 
His heartbeat was that they come to Christ. Look, at, look back at chapter nine, look at verse one. He's, you remember him saying, I tell the truth in Christ, I'm not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brother, my countrymen, according to the flesh. Boy, he really put it out there when he said that. Paul's zeal for those who were lost. Listen to this. Led him to think the unimaginable, giving up basically his place in heaven. Now, how many of you have wondered sometimes, why would he be willing to say, if it meant that my countrymen could go to heaven and me go to hell, I would gladly sign up for that. That is unimaginable to me. Let me tell you why it's unimaginable. For one thing, we believe Paul actually visited heaven at some point, that he was called up into the third heaven. He, he, he pretends like it was someone else, but we know from, this, from the context of scripture, it was actually him. But here's another thing that you got to think about. Why would he go to such lengths? I think it was because of what God desired for his people. It was more associated with what God desired. God desired throughout the ages, throughout history, that his people come to him. And Paul's heart is what God's heart was. And he was basically saying for God's heart to be settled, for God's heart to, to have what it desires, I, I'll go to hell for that. Boy, that's a lot when you think about it. When you think about what he was willing to do. Also, Paul's zeal for those who were lost led him to do the unimaginable. And that's to die for the cause. If you fast forward to the end of Paul's life, you will find that he literally lost his life as a missionary, as an ambassador for Christ. He lost his life. So we see the zeal of Paul, but look at this, the vulnerability of man's salvation. And now we have Israel's zeal leads to misdirection. You see, the, the people of God had a zeal for God, but was totally misdirected. It was totally wrong. Their idea of coming to salvation was wrong. Now, let me just say this about how we're going to proceed in this sermon. If you were to look, and I've given you this statistic before, that 85% of the people polled believed that the way to heaven, those who believed in the heaven, you had to believe in the heaven first, and then you ask the question, okay, who goes to heaven? It's the idea that if the good outweighs the bad, and I do enough good things, I get to go to heaven. 8.5 people out of 10 said that's the way to go to heaven, those who believed in heaven. I want you to think about that. That's a lot of people who are misdirected in what they believe about heaven and what salvation is all about. And so right here, Paul is addressing the very same thing that we address. If you were to go out and you began to witness to someone, Tina, I was sitting beside Tina this past week and she was witnessing to, to this guy who was trying to sell us something and she flipped it on him, <laughs> which I thought was pretty cool. I'm, I'm just mad I didn't think of it. But anyway, she flipped it on him and said, I just want to ask you a personal question. Do you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? He didn't miss a beat. You know what he said? He said, well, I'd like to think I do. I'd like to think I've done this. I've done that. I've done." He began to list all the good things that he's ever done. And I mean, he had some good things on that list, but, 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 but it doesn't match up. That's not what brings the salvation. 
That's not what we're talking about here. Paul is addressing something 2,000 years ago that everywhere we turn, we're dealing with the same thing. So if you're a person here today and you're looking to witness to those who are trusting in our own righteousness, in their own way to heaven, guess what? This message is to help you direct them in the right way. But if you're a person who's sitting here today and you're part of that 85% who says, you know something? I know about Christ's righteousness. I know about salvation. But somewhere along the line, I believe it takes my righteousness righteousness to get there. I'm getting ready to blow that out of the water this morning through the writings of Paul and what God's word actually says about the subject. So here it is. Israel, Israel's zeal leads to misdirection. Paul gives three reasons why God basically set them aside. And the first one is this. They did not listen to God. They didn't listen. They, listen, the person, look on your outline, the person who trusts in their own works will be judged in that manner. Now, let me ask you a question. The guy that Tina was talking to this past week, how is he choosing to be judged when he begins to talk about all the good things? How's he choosing to be judged? He's choosing to be judged based on his own righteousness. Can I ask you a question, a serious question? Do you really want to be judged on your own righteousness when, there is, when one imperfection will condemn you? Do you really want to be judged on your own righteousness? Because the Bible says, for all have sinned. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says it's not possible. So when you say, listen, it is, if the good outweighs the bad, listen, the first time bad shows up, you're out. That's what the Bible says. That's the wages of sin. You're out. You say, well, that doesn't seem fair. You may not got to get 100% right to be acceptable before God. That's exactly what the Bible says all through it. It's exactly what it says. And so many people would say, okay, here's what I'm willing to do. When it comes to the judgment, when I stand before my creator, I'm willing to stand there on my own record. Do you really want that? I know I don't. There was a window sticker in a car that was, I was on my way to Charlotte, and most people don't normally pass me. <laughs> normally I pass them. Uh, but anyway, um, and, and in the, the, the window, they had a window sticker there, and it said, live your truth. And I sat there and I thought, wow, that's pretty messed up. Live your truth. Y'all, that type of thinking condemns a person. When you begin to say, I'm going to live my truth. I will determine what my truth is. I will live accordingly. And if I make my way, when I make my way out of this life, I will think that will be good enough. It will not be good enough. It's not your truth. It's the creator's truth. It's the one who created you. It's the one that stands here this morning and says, basically, for whosoever come, shall come up, come to me, I will receive them. That's what he's saying. So where do we go from here? Look at Romans 10 too. Paul said, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. This is his people. This is his countrymen, but not according to knowledge. He's basically saying they have a zeal for God, but it's not grounded in the right truth. It's not his truth. Paul himself was an example of this. And, and, and he gives us testimony prior to his conversion. 
He, he basically says, let me tell you, I can identify with that train of thought. I can identify with these people. I, I can identify with the deception that they're living in. And here's what he says. Look at what it says in Philippians 3. Here's what it says. Though Paul says this about himself. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. He's basically saying if anybody thinks he can get there on his record, the way he understood it as it related to God, I'm one that would get there. And here's what he was saying. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. That's to be a good Jewish boy. He says, of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Man, when you've seen a Jew, when you've seen a Hebrew, I was a Hebrew. Okay? He says, concerning the law, I was a Pharisee. I was someone who studied the law. I attempted to live the law. I, 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 he goes on and on. Concerning zeal? You talking about zeal? I was willing to persecute the church. Concerning the righteousness, which is the law, I thought myself to be blameless. I thought I was meeting it all. I thought I could get there on my own righteousness. He's telling us this. This is his testimony before Christ. But what things were gained to me, those things that I trusted in for my salvation, those things that I lived for, that my life was grounded in, these things I've counted loss. But the next two words is the most important thing that he says in this whole statement. I count those things as loss for Christ, for the provision of Jesus Christ, for what Christ offers. I, I'm not going to get there on my own. Listen, I came to realize I can't get there on my own. The holy scales will never fall to my favor. I'm trusting in the provision of Jesus Christ. Paul was saying, before I was, became a believer, I was extremely religious, even to the point that I persecuted the very thing I'm willing to die for now. He was zealous for God, backed by the wrong truth. The wrong truth. I want you to think about this. Think about your truth. What do you hold as truth? What do you see as truth? Is it right? Or is it wrong? Now, you may say, boy, you're so bold to say what you're getting ready to say. Listen, if your truth is not grounded in the word of God, you have wrong truth. That's when the world looks on and says, oh, yeah, you Christians, you're intolerant. You should be allowing other religions. You should be allowing all these other religions. They're just as credible of any, as any Christian. All these other thoughts. I mean, even the thoughts that are born in my own head and born in my own mind. And I live my own truth. What makes you think that's not true? Because the Bible says it's not. Anything that contradicts what God's word says is not true. Now, you're sitting here thinking. And, and, and by the way, I get it. I get it. If you're sitting here thinking, boy, that, that's bold. That, that just speaks intolerance. It does. I get it. And it's hard to say in this culture. Wouldn't you agree with it? I almost cringe telling y'all because I know how the word feels about it. But it's the truth. How do we know it's the truth? Because there's no other salvation that we have if it's not found in Christ. Because Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes before the Father. By the way, the only way to come before the Father is to be acceptable before the Father. The only way that happens is through whom? The person that said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus. 
And so when you begin to look at all this and you put it all together, logically, if you say Christianity is the way to go, it is through Jesus that we have salvation, then you must come to the conclusion that everything else is wrong, including your own ideas. The problem with many of us, the problem with the world is they've created a God and a salvation in their own image. They believe they're good enough. They believe they can be equated with God to be able to set the rules of salvation, to set the rules for eternity. And that's what's wrong. That's what's wrong. I want you to look. Paul says they were zealous. Look at the last part of verse 2. He said their zeal is not based on knowledge. He could easily say it's not based on truth. A religion can't save you no matter how zealous you are. Have you heard someone, and you've heard me say this before, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as what? You're sincere. And I've told you many times, my wife's told me what? You're sincerely wrong. (laughs) It's amazing what we call truth. It's amazing what we put ahead of what we know to be true. The vulnerability of man's salvation, Israel's zeal, leads to misdirection. The first thing, basically, Paul says in this text is they did not listen to God. The second thing he says, they tried to save themselves. Look at your outline. It is impossible to keep God's law. Some of you may be sitting here saying today, well, then why in the world did he bring it up? If, if, if he brought it up and he knew it was impossible, why did he bend us towards failure? Why is he placing us in a place of failure? Because until we see our failure, we will never truly see who he is. That is the reason. And so when you say, well, wait a second now. I mean, this law thing. I mean, Paul obviously thought he was, he was living it out. Did you know there's another place in, in Romans where Paul said, you know something? When I was a Pharisee, when I was someone trying to keep the law completely, I started seeing all these things, and, and, and God began to work in my heart. Do you know that there was one thing, and I've shared this with you before. There was one thing that always hung him up. There was one thing he had to confess he had a problem with, and that's the fact he coveted. He coveted. He, he, he becomes transparent. How many of you love it when, when people speak truth and yet they're transparent about their own failures and they're, and they're transparent of where they're missing it? Paul tells us, listen, out of all the things I was doing, out of all this thing, there was still in the back of my mind that one thing that I wasn't quite living up to, and that's the fact that I coveted. Covet. To covet something is sin. In Romans 10, look at verse 3. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness. Now, who are they? You could say Israel. Who are they? Could be 85% of people in, this, in our society that believes there's a heaven who says that the, the, the good outweigh and the bad will send them there. That's what it could say. Because it's the same premise. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness. They, they have no clue about what the standard is. They don't really understand that. And seeking to establish their own righteousness, having not submitted to the righteousness of God. How do you submit to the righteousness of God? By accepting, listen, God's provision for our failure. That's how you do it. Your failure is that you're a sinner. Your failure is that we've all sinned. 
Our family, listen, you don't, you don't have to convince someone that they're a sinner. I've only met one person in my life who told me they don't think they had sinned over the last several years. I had someone actually tell me that. I, I think I laughed at them. I really believe I did. And I feel sorry about that. But anyway, no, I don't. I laughed at them. And, and, and here's, here's the point. Here's the point is, is this. We, we miss it in so many different ways. When we trust in God's provision, what are we trusting him for? We're trusting in his provision because of our failure. We need his provision. It's our only hope. Our righteousness, the good things, will never stand up in his courtroom. It says in verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law. You look at that and you think, what? It means he fulfilled what the law required. The law required perfection. Up to that point, up to Jesus, no one had ever lived it perfectly. Until who? Until Jesus shows up. He lived it to its perfection. You know why? Well, part of it was because it was easy for him. Some of you are sitting here thinking, what? Wait a second. Can I remind you what John says about him? He was the word. You know what the word was? The word, part of the word was law, the embodiment of the law. And it says it became flesh. The God-man Jesus became flesh, dwelt among us. The law, the perfection of the law was put to the test. It was right there. Is he who the Bible says he is? Yes, he is because he lived it perfectly. He was the word. You get it? He was the word. So therefore, he fulfilled what the law required. Here, here it is. Let me put it on the bottom shelf for you. The bottom shelf is this. You, could, you, in, you can never fulfill the requirement of the law. So God says, I'm going to make a provision. I'm sending my son. He'll do it. He'll take care of it. He'll bring the provision for all those who missed it. It goes on and says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who what? Who believes. And we're going to break that down in just a moment. Notice it says they didn't know God's righteousness, that which comes by faith. So they sought to establish their own righteousness. Let me tell you what the Pharisees did. You, you may not be aware of this. This is in history. The Pharisees, basically what they did is they looked at the law and they basically said, we got to do this, 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 this. This is all in the law. And then they said, to keep us from even getting close to that, we're going to create all these other laws. Most scholars believe they added 600 other types of laws that surrounded the ones that were already in place. And, and, and part of it, you kind of have to respect what they were attempting to do. They would, they, 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 to make sure they fulfilled the law, they put, all these bar- they put all these things in here so you don't get close to missing it. But can I tell you what the problem was? The problem was they built their own deceit. They built their own deceit because when Jesus showed up, how many times did you, have you read in the Gospels where it appeared that God, Jesus himself broke the law? How many of you studied it and thought, oh my goodness, he's being accused of breaking the law. He wasn't breaking the law of God. He was breaking the law of the Pharisees. And the Pharisees went and when they added all those other things they needed to do, it it caused them to, to fall into their own deceit and to the point that they would accuse the perfect one living imperfectly. 
And that's the reason they didn't recognize who Jesus was. A lot at stake here. Got to be careful when you start adding words to God's word. Deception follows. Many people make the same mistake today. They're trying to set up their religion, their own truth made in their own image. There's two false salvations out there. There's something called, this is now on your outline, salvation by subtraction. And it's basically if I give up all the bad things, then God may make me acceptable towards him. No, no it's not you doing anything. Here's another one, salvation by service. If I work harder, if I give money, if I volunteer enough, if I give enough money over here, maybe it'll erase some of the bad over here. You may be able to do that in politics. You can't do that with God. You, you get that, right? The holy scales. Paul is saying they are trying to establish their own standard so they can appear righteous. Verse 4 says, Christ is the end of the law. The word end is the same word. It means literally goal, completion, maturity, fulfillment. But here, fulfillment is probably one of the better words. Christ is the fulfillment of the law. Someone had to fulfill the law to create the, the provision of salvation. That's the way God said it. We don't need anything more for salvation other than that. Now, next we see the vulnerability of man's salvation. Israel, Israel's zeal leads to misdirection. He gives three, three reasons. They did not listen. Number two, they tried to save themselves. Number three, they misunderstood the purpose of the law. The failure to trust in Christ's sacrifice results in eternal punishment. Eternal punishment. Look at Romans 10. Look at verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. Now, now, who took the law from God and put it out here for us? That was Moses, okay? Uh, any good Jew would say Moses is the man, basically, okay? He was. He, he and Abraham were the top two. I mean, they were big deals. And, said, and then it says, the man who does these things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. He's basically telling you, here's this righteousness, the righteousness that God has provided. I mean, the, the righteousness that God has said is a standard. And then he looks over here and he says, but there's a faith component to this. Now, why would there be a faith component? Listen to this. The faith component, component is the provision. It's the provision to trust in the fact that you need salvation. And that's what he's saying here. And then he says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. Now, this is confusing to us because we're not a Jew, but a Jew would have understood this. Paul understood this. He is applying, he is simply a, a quoting the Old Testament. He's applying these things to Christ. He took a couple of Old Testament scriptures and he applies them to him. He's simply saying that salvation is already available. It's already here. You don't have to go back and do something. You don't have to go take the Messiah and bring him back down. He's already come and gone. He's already made the provision. And so here's the idea. You don't have to run up to heaven to get it because Christ has already come down. You don't have to, to raise Christ from the dead anymore because it already happened. Here, he is simply saying that everything you need for salvation is available. 
When Jesus Christ died on the cross, do you remember the last thing he said? At least in one of the Gospels. It is finished. Can I tell you what that means? Paid in full. Paid in full. There was a debt that was out there. Paid in full. That is the provision that he's offering. Your righteousness, listen, created a debt account. Okay? Righteousness is God's standard. This is how you pay to be acceptable before God by keeping law, by being righteous. You didn't do it, did you? Go ahead and admit it. Just shake your head. No, I didn't do it. Shake your head. Some of you sitting, shake your head. Anyway, (laughs) you didn't do it. Okay? And basically what we're trying to understand here is that we come over here and there's a debt that's left because here's the standard, but here's where we're living. Some of you could possibly say, well, I'm actually living more down here. Guess what? The provision meets all of it. Doesn't matter what you're talking about if you come to him on his terms. And as a result, you trust in his provision, paid in full. You like that deal? Best deal you'll ever get. Now, here's another one. The possibility of God's salvation. How does it really work out for us? Number one, there's a connection. Between mouth and heart. In Romans chapter 10, verse 8, it says, But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. He's basically saying we're putting it right here in front of you. We're offering it to you right here. And by the way, it's as close as what you're willing to say with your mouth and believe in your heart. That's how close this provision is for you to have. Next, we see the condition. The condition, verse 9 says that if you, that's a condition. Now, last week, we talked about God's part in salvation. And on this side of the door, if you remember, we looked at God's sovereignty. But what he's building up to in these verses is the other side of the door, our human responsibility, our free will to choose, to to say, yes, this is the salvation I believe in. I'm going to take God's word about this salvation here. So we're talking about the other side this morning. Now, here's what's interesting. God puts these chapters right next to each other to show us the balance of the two. The Bible teaches them both. We see the possibility of salvation. So circle the word if there. If you write in your Bible, circle if. Salvation, listen, is only a possibility. It's only a possibility. It's made right when I reach out for that doorknob, when I come to him on his terms and there are terms so next we see the correction the correction Romans 10 verse 9 that if you and here it is that if you here's the possibility that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus underline Lord so many times we miss what's being said here and we almost make it too easy. We make it easy believism. How many of you ever heard of that? If I just walk down the aisle, if I just say the right words, if I do this, do that. That's kind of what happens when you don't use, when you don't look at the word Lord here closely. Because the word Lord here uh, is very important. But go back to the previous word there, confess. It means to agree. It, 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 the word confess literally means two parties coming to, together to agree upon something, okay? And that's what confession is. 
And so you're coming together with God who created you, who holds salvation, and you're saying, I'm agreeing to see Jesus as what? Lord, which means what? He's calling the shots. There's your obedience. So Lord signifies sovereign power and authority. Now, this may blow your mind, but write this down. This is an interesting study. Jesus is referred to in the New Testament as Savior eight times. Eight times. As Lord, over 640 times. Would you say Lord's pretty important when it comes to describing who he is? It's very important. And that's really where we miss it sometimes. The possibility of God's salvation, there's confession. We just talked a little bit about it, but it's the idea of believe. Romans 10, 9 says that if you, there's a, there's a possibility of salvation, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, which implies there's some obedience, there's some, there's the idea of, of turning control over. How many of you love to do that? Turning control over, okay? And believe in your heart, that God is raising from the dead. Now, confessing with your mouth, listen, and believing in your heart are equally important. To confess without believing is not enough. It's not enough. You can come down here and say, I'm so sorry for my sins. and I, I mean, you can go on and on and on, but I'm presenting to you the complete picture of the provision of salvation. And believing, confessing is not enough. Believing, listen, many people say, sure, I'm a Christian. I believe in God and Jesus. And sometimes they'll even say, and all that stuff. You ever heard him say it? I have. I believe in God and Jesus and all that stuff. A lot of famous people out there profess to know Christ. They have half of it right, but they don't believe in their heart. To confess without believing is not enough. Look at Titus 1.16. They claim to know God. They claim to know a salvation. They claim to know what Jesus brings to the table. But by their actions, what do they do? They deny him. They don't really understand it. They didn't get it right. The word believe in Greek means to trust in. It means to cling to. It means to rely on, to commit to. The Bible says that even the devil and the demons believe and tremble. How many of you feel good about that? You mean to tell me the devil believes? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Matter of fact, the demons at times when Jesus was on earth, they'd show up and they'd leave him terrified as of what he could do to them. He's a big deal. Big deal to the demons, too. And they believe in him but yet they have not committed themselves to that provision. A lot of people, listen, here's where we miss it, and you've heard this all your life. A lot of people have a head knowledge about God, but lack a, a heart knowledge. But here's the second part that I think is just as important. A heart change will produce a life change. You get that, right? Heart change will produce a life change, and it always does. It always does. The possibility of God's salvation, confirmation, the idea of being saved, Romans 10, 9, and 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God had raised him from the dead, what? Here it is. You will be saved. 
And then he gives you a little bit further idea about what's going on. For with the heart, let me show you how this plays out. For with the heart, one believes into righteousness. They believe into righteousness, not their own righteousness. The righteousness is, that is pro provided through Jesus Christ's sacrificial death. Okay? And with the mouth, confession, agreement is made unto salvation. How's that done? Through Jesus' provision. So, first, with the heart, man believes and is granted righteousness. Whose righteousness? His righteousness. Second, with the mouth, he confesses and is granted salvation. There is no salvation apart from righteousness. So over here, what's happening? I'm believing in this righteousness that Christ has provided for me. And as a result of that, now I have salvation. Salvation is a whole idea. I'm made acceptable before God. It means come on into heaven. It means a blessed life. So the heart determines one's destiny. Listen to this. This is a cool statement. Righteousness has to do with what we become, while salvation has to do with what we escape. You do realize we're escaping a whole lot out there when we come to know Christ. Next, the availability of, of salvation, Romans 10. Look at verse 11. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Basically, there's, there's good things associated with it. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. Doesn't matter if you're considered a Jew, which is God's people, which God said, these are my people. They're set apart. They're, doesn't matter. Guess what? The Gentiles included in this. Now, to the Jew, that could have been offensive. You do know that, right? But again, it goes back to what they created. They created God in their own image. They created all these things in their own image. But guess what? The Gentiles always been involved in salvation, even all, all the way back to the Old Testament. It was God's idea that the Jew introduced the Gentile to salvation. But you know what the Jews did? They basically said, well, they're just dogs. They'll never understand who God is and what he's capable of doing. And, and that's, the, that's the approach they took back there. So, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So here's the question. Which righteousness do you trust in? If you really think about salvation, it all comes to this. Which righteousness do you choose in? Your own? Basically, it's you saying, I'll just stand with my record. I've done pretty good with this life. I haven't cheated on anyone. I hadn't, hadn't done this, hadn't done that. What about that white lie? Well, that's, you know, that's, that's a great day. He surely is not going to hold that one against me. Stand condemned in your own righteousness. But many people choose it. 85% of people, when you ask about Jesus and ask about salvation, that's their conclusion. And they, they say they want to stand on their own record. Depart from me, for I never knew you. That's in the Bible, too. But this person over here who says, you know something? I do not in any way want to trust in my own record of righteousness. How many of you are there? <laughs> I'll take this. This is Jesus' provision. This is whosoever. This is what's available. So here's the application. Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If so, 
What are the evidences in your life that prove that you have? Y'all, <laughs> when there is a heart change, write this down because this is key. That's what the epistles will tell us. When there is a heart change, there is a life change. It doesn't look like perfection. If that were the case, we've all missed it again. It just means that we've trusted in the provision of salvation, that our sin debt has been paid, paid in full. And that's what it's all about. Would you stand to your feet and pray with me? Father, we just come to you right now, and we just thank you for what your provision brings to us, Lord. We thank you for salvation. And Father, I just pray, Lord, in a, in a room, I know we've gone over a little bit, but Father, I can't preach this message without there being an invitation. I can't preach this message without saying, whosoever come. And Father, I just pray if there's someone in this room, maybe they've trusted in something other than what you provided for salvation. I pray that your Holy Spirit has made that known to them here today. Father, have your way in this invitation, Lord. Speak to the hearts of those that are here, Father, and have your way in this. Father, we thank you for what you're capable of doing and what you will do if we come on the terms that you set forward. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you sing with us? I'll be here at the front. Just do what God's calling you to do this morning.